0: can turn with me to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17. I'm going to be reading in verse 10 and to kind of catch you up on where we are in the story. Uh, We are uh, are in the midst of what is called the second missionary journey. This is Paul's second round trip uh, or second trip around the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, And last week uh, we saw Paul and his team in Thessalonica uh, in the city of Thessalonica, and they tell many people about Jesus, and many people believe, but other people got angry, and they started a riot, and they accused Paul of treason against Caesar uh, for talking about another king, Jesus, and so uh, Paul and Silas are forced to leave Thessalonica, uh, and they head about 50 miles southwest to Berea, uh, and, and just like the Energizer bunny, Paul just keeps going. Um, as soon as he arrives in Berea, uh, he, he continues his regular practice of going to the Jewish synagogue. Uh, I think by this point I'd, I would have met enough resistance that I probably would have quit. Uh, but Paul uh, was told by Jesus to expect opposition. Uh, in fact, Jesus himself faced much opposition, and so it's, uh, it's par for the course. Uh, and so Paul uh, continues in his ministry. He goes into the Jewish synagogue in Berea, and he starts talking about Jesus again. But this time, he gets a much different response than what he'd gotten in Thessalonica. So let's, uh, let's pick up the story there, Acts 17, verse 10. The brothers, that is the church in Thessalonica, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Thus far, the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. God, you have given us this word to reveal yourself and because you love us. And so, God, we pray that you would do just that, that you would teach us this morning, that we would apply ourselves in the same way that the Bereans did Uh, that we would examine the scriptures, and that we would find life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, My friend Tim worked at a summer camp uh, during college, uh, and he and another friend, Alan, were were talking uh, one day. I forget exactly what it was about, uh, but um, something having to do with the Christian life. This was a Christian summer camp, and, um, and Tim asked Alan the question. He said, he asked him, Now, where would I find that in the Bible? Uh, What in the Bible says we should do that? And Alan's response was very curious. He said, well, now that's a very Presbyterian question. And what he meant by that, I mean, is that uh, Presbyterians typically, historically, have been very Bible-oriented people. That if we're going to do something, we want to see justification for it in the Scriptures. And so... Alan's response uh, to Tim's question was, uh, well, that's a that's a very Presbyterian question. But what I hope you'll see this morning is that it's actually not a Presbyterian question. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that it's not simply a Christian question. Uh, that if someone is going to make a truth claim, if somebody is going to claim that something is true and therefore ought to be believed then we should ask the question, where do you get that from? What is your authority? On what basis do you make that statement? And that's essentially what the Bereans do with Paul. Uh, They receive Paul's message eagerly, but then they go on to the source to verify its truth. And this earns them, uh, the, the, the way that Luke describes them, as he says, they were more noble. Or maybe your translation says noble-minded or it says open-minded uh, than the Jews who were in Thessalonica. They were more noble. So what can we learn from these Berean Jews? What, what did they do that earned them that title of noble? Uh, We're going to look at three things this morning. First, they were willing to learn. Second, they received the word eagerly. And then third, they examined the scriptures. First, they were willing to learn. Luke says they were noble. Uh, Other translations, like I said, read open-minded and I realize that open-minded can have kind of a bad rap as if, you know, to be open-minded is to believe anything. And that's not what Luke means by open-minded here. What Luke means is that they were willing to learn. They were open to listening to what Paul had to say in contrast to the Jews who were in Thessalonica who prejudged the message. The Jews in Thessalonica closed their ears to Paul's message because they did not like its result. Uh, Like we were told uh, in the previous passage that uh, when the Jews in Thessalonica, the Jewish leadership of the synagogue, saw Gentiles being welcomed in, they were jealous. And so they stirred up a riot. Um, They closed their minds to Paul's message. uh, But the Jews in Berea were different. They were noble. They were open-minded. They were willing to listen to what Paul had to say. Now, let's pause and go back for just a minute, uh, and let's look again at Paul's method of talking with others about Jesus. Let's go back and look at chapter 17, verse 2. This is the story of Paul in Thessalonica, but we have no reason to believe that Paul didn't do the same everywhere he went. He says, as Paul went in, as was his custom, and on, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So notice those words. I pointed them out last week, and I think it's important we point them out again, that Paul reasoned with them. He explained to them. He, he, he opened their Bibles up to them, right? what we would call the Old Testament, and he reasoned with them. He, he took out those prophecies and those stories and showed how... All of those things point forward to a Messiah, to a Savior who had to die and to rise again, and then he connects the dot and the dots and says that person is Jesus. All right? He shows that the Savior they were looking for was none other than the real historical person of Jesus. So this message of Paul's, this gospel, one and we've said this before, and it, we've got to say it every time: sinners on Jesus. Paul's message is not uh, straighten up. Paul's message is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then he proves that message by going to their scriptures. So it is a rational and intellectual thing that Paul does. And so the first thing we should say is that let's not be afraid of thinking Let's not be afraid of being rational people. Uh, Sometimes, in fact, uh, I think it was David Wells who wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. I can't remember if that was the author exactly. And the the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there's really not much of one. Uh, For some reason, we tend to put rationality in a different category. And so often people will say, oh, well, you just have to believe it. No friend to believe Christianity means to actually think through what Christianity says. Let's not be afraid of thinking. Now that doesn't mean that we have to be cold uh, or overly analytical or afraid of emotions. Uh, sometimes we can get uh, we, we swing the pendulum too far in the other direction. Uh, just because we're thinkers, doesn't mean we're not also lovers. In fact, I would say, uh, that the Bible actually teaches that we are driven by our deep desires. Proverbs 4.23 says that the heart is the wellspring of life. Um, and so notice, too, that, that Paul not only proved his point, but he persuaded people, right? Paul spoke to the mind and to the heart. But that doesn't mean that we have to check our brains at the door. Uh that means that we can bring our questions to the scriptures. God, we can bring our questions to God. God is not afraid of our questions, right? Uh, the message of Christianity is not one that silences the mind, but rather engages the mind. God has given us brains, and we should use them to evaluate the truth of what we hear, especially when it comes to religion. If Christianity claims to be a matter of life and death, then we owe it our thoughtfulness. We ought to evaluate the claims that we hear rationally. How do we do that? Well, we see that what the Bereans did is first they received the word eagerly. Right? These Bereans approach Paul's preaching with eagerness. They're glad Paul is there. They're ready to listen to what he's saying They come to the Word with excitement. And we should know that that many of these Jews are like many of us. In fact, they probably were more religious than many of us. They would go to the synagogue every Sabbath to sing, to pray, to hear the Scriptures read, and then to be taught. That that was their routine every Sabbath. But, But these Jews are not bored by it. They come with anticipation. They come eager to hear what Paul has to say from the scriptures. They come to the word with all eagerness. They are hungry people who want to be fed. How about you? How did you come in this morning? Excited? Expectant? Curious? Bored? Distracted, attention span blunted by a flood of cares and concerns. Maybe you're excited, or or maybe you're just here. And that happens. I get that, right? But if that happens every Sunday, what could you change? So that you might receive the word with all eagerness. What would have to happen in your life that you might come with a sense of anticipation to listen to the word? The first thing I might suggest is prayer. Pray. If you know that your heart is cold, ask God to warm it. If your mind is distracted, ask God to focus it ask god that he would make you eager to receive his word and pray those same things for your family if you have one so pray might i also suggest that we change our approach uh, that maybe when we approach the doors of the church of course we all you know we all kind of joke about like putting on the church face when you get out of the car like as you pull into the parking lot, you know, the, the morning's already been crazy and hectic. You screamed at each child, like, at least 10,000 times, and yet somehow still your son ended up in the car without his shoes on. You know, like, how does that even happen? Uh, you do own a belt. We bought you one, you know. Uh, so, like, all those things, uh, and so then you get, like, you pull into the parking lot, okay, mm. right, we got we to gotta get, get put together, we got to put it all together so that we can put on the happy, smiley church face, uh, but but what if you instead appro- when you approach the doors you ask yourself the question intentionally ask how am i coming in what are my expectations for this morning not in the sense of like man i hope i hope this is a i hope this is a good sermon and the guy didn't put me to sleep but more like what do you expect god to do what do you expect to hear from the lord what is my mindset? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I realize again in the hecticness of uh, of coming to church, maybe that's not a question we're used to asking ourselves is what is my mindset? What is my attitude? But ask yourself the question. Give some thought to how you come in. Maybe you need to change your routine. Uh, maybe Saturday night uh, you need to not stay up till one or two in the morning. That might be beneficial if you're uh, Going to sit for an extended period of time and listen to a guy drone on and on. You probably want to get plenty of sleep. Um, maybe you prepare things ahead of time so Sunday morning isn't a mad dash. What if you changed your Sunday morning? Like, what if there was a routine in your Sunday? Morning? What if you needed like what if you needed to give yourself some grace in your Sunday morning routine? Like parents, your kids don't have to look like you know, beautiful superstars to come to church? Uh, What if you gave yourself a little bit of grace so that the Sunday morning routine wasn't the gauntlet that it normally is, but you were able to walk in uh, to the building uh, a little bit more focused and clear, right? We're We're not here to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths. We're here to hear from God. So let that, change how you prepare for worship it's interesting you know we prepare for work uh we'll even prepare for a hobby right uh yesterday we went hiking in oak mountain um and so we prepared ahead of time and by we i mean my wife uh she prepared by loading up a backpack full of snacks i prepared by leaving my water in the car all right so our experience of the hike uh was very different okay um But we prepare for everything else. Do we prepare to come to worship and receive God's word? And if not, why not? And what could we do differently? Maybe another suggestion I would make is to take notes. If I'm writing, I know that I'm engaging. I'm more engaged because I'm engaging more of my senses. Not just hearing, but also seeing And touching, right, that I'm I'm using more of my body to absorb the message that I'm hearing. It helps me engage and it helps me to ask good questions, which then leads to the third thing that the Bereans do or the Bereans are right They're They're willing to learn uh, and their willingness is shown in the fact that they receive the word eagerly, but then also that they examine the scriptures carefully in other words, they don't take Paul's word for it. They receive the message from him, and they receive it with gladness. But then they go to, the, they, then they go to their scriptures, they go to their Bible, again, what we would call the Old Testament, and they, they sift through and they scrutinize Paul's message, and they, they hold it up next to the light of scripture, and they say, is this true? And I would argue again that whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've been a Christian for years or whether you're investigating uh, the, the, the message of Christianity for the first time, th- this, this principle is a good principle. Don't uncritically accept every voice you hear. Right? We love celebrity, don't we? Uh, we, we? We are a culture of celebrity. We love big personalities. I mean we've even coined a new term, influencers right? We love influencers and we want to be influencers, but we are in danger of uncritically accepting every voice that we hear. And we don't want to do that, right? Just like these Bereans, they don't don't uncritically accept Paul. They're glad he's there, but then they go and they verify the truth of what he's going to say, right? Too often, Christians just We'll take whatever a celebrity preacher or a local preacher might say. Listen, don't, don't take my word for it just because you like me, okay? Uh, if, if I am arguing, if I'm making a point from the Scriptures, then, then let's go to the Scriptures and let's, let's go to the source of the authority, right? Everything in life can be boiled down to the source of authority. Where is that coming from? We ought to ask that question. We always want to go back to the source. And here's the good news. The Bible is not a closed book. It's not something that only the well-educated or initiated can understand. Yes, there are challenging parts of the Bible, but the Bible's message as a whole is available to everyone. It It can be understood by the simplest of people, and it can be studied forever by the most learned so the Bible is not a closed book. So when it comes to church, bring a Bible, if you have one, and then leave it open during the sermon. And I encourage the use of a hard copy of the Bible because I get distracted by shiny things. So if I'm looking at it on my phone and I get a notification, I'm going to have a really hard time staying on the Bible app, right? Uh, and so I need, to, I need to put the shiny thing away and just have a, and just have a hard copy, uh, that, I can, that I can read and look at. Maybe you like to take notes in your Bible. Right? But let's, let's, have, let's have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. But when it comes to a message from the Bible, let's be willing to learn. Uh, let's receive it with all eagerness. And let's examine the scriptures to see if what the speaker is saying is true. And what can happen... When we do that, what happens? Well, we see in Berea that many believe, that many come to know Christ. Let me tell you a story about another person for whom something similar happened. The year is 386 A.D., and the man's name is Augustine. Uh, Augustine will go on to become one of the greatest theologians and pastors, uh, teachers, and leaders in church history. Uh, Augustine's thoughts and writing will formulate, even even into today, formulate much of what we understand about Christianity. But before 386, even though Augustine was a well-educated man, a very sophisticated man, he had traveled the world, he was a university professor, uh, Augustine did not know God. And he was enslaved. while he was he's fascinated by the message of Christianity, uh, but he was also put off by it, uh, because Augustine is what we would call uh, an, uh, an alcoholic and a sex addict. All right, to put not too fine a point on it, Augustine is enslaved to his lust and his passions, and he cannot manage to get free. And this struggle in 386 is what drives Augustine out into his garden. He is, he is tired of his enslaved way of life, but he cannot see how to get free of it. And so he writes these words in his Confessions. He says, I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to the tears which now streamed from my eyes. In my misery, I kept crying, how long shall I go on saying tomorrow, tomorrow, why not now? Why not make an end of my ugly sounds at this moment? And it's at that moment that Augustine hears a little girl's voice singing, Tole lege, tole lege, which is Latin for take up and read, take up and read. Listen to what Augustine says. At this I looked up thinking hard whether there's any kind of game in which children used to chant words like these, but I, I could not remember ever hearing them before. I stemmed my flood of tears and stood up, telling myself that this could only be a divine command to open my book of Scripture and read the first passage on which my eyes should fall. And so August- Augustine opens up the Bible and he turns to Romans 13, verse 13, and he reads these words. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Augustine says, I had no wish to read more. And no need to do so. For in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. You see, as Augustine came to the scriptures, it wasn't so much what he read there as who. Friend, the most important question you can ask when we open the Bible Yes, the what question is important, but even behind the what question is who. Who do the pages of Scripture reveal to us? And the answer to that question is Jesus. Paul will later on write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15. He'll say, the Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation That means in the scriptures that the the Bible, when I go to the Bible, it tells me what's wrong with me and what's wrong with the world. In Romans 3.23, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means there's a there's an impassable canyon between us and God. And it's not as if we're standing longingly on this side of the canyon. We're standing with our backs to God and our arms crossed, disinterested in him. But that's not the end of the story. Paul goes on, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right by his grace through the redemption, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not only does the Bible tell me what's wrong with me and with you and with all the world. But it also tells me that God has done what is necessary to cross the canyon that I would not and could not. And he has done it to rescue me and draw me to himself. So this morning, you can be made right with God. Not by striving. Not necessarily by reading your Bible more. But in reading your Bible Seeing that Jesus has done what is necessary for you to be saved. That he, that you can turn from your rebellion and trust in what Jesus has done for you. That's the good news. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can read it right here. Let's pray. God in heaven, again, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, for revealing your son to us. May our story be like that of Augustine and like the Bereans and of thousands and millions more who, having opened up your word and having read your word, have seen the light of life within its pages. I pray that would be our story as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.